CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there. Welcome to The Hash here on Coindesk TV. I'm Zach Seward. That's Will Foxley. That's Jensen Assey. That's Wendy O. How's everybody doing today? Everybody good? Good. How are you doing? Is it, is it Wednesday? I think it it's. I think it, it is Wednesday. Is. It's, Wednesday. Yeah. it's been a long is it, week. Is it Wagyu Wednesday? Wagyu oh. Wednesday. Oh, but it's <laughs> a taco sponsor. I don't know about Wagyu. Yeah, but it's. Uh, but we're. But it's a bear market. We're poor. In that spirit, let's get to the news of the day. What's going on in the world of crypto? I am taking it first. I'm going to start us off with a little bit of news on Coinbase. Coinbase, that big old cryptocurrency exchange, finally won approval to list crypto futures in the U.S. Uh, it's been about a two-year effort, and now they are able to list the type of products that lots and lots of people in the crypto space enjoy trading. I'm going to toss this one to Wendy. Uh, Wendy, what do, what do you make of this? What's the signal here? What does this mean that Coinbase can now list uh, crypto futures? I think that this is actually interesting, just considering that they're still battling with the SEC. And I, it's kind of a hard read for me. Again, I'm not a legal expert. I want to say that Jen is our legal expert on the show. But I just think it's very bizarre that they got approved to do this when the SEC is currently currently going after them. And let's just say, for example, doom and gloom. What happens if the SEC goes after them and then finds all this additional stuff and completely destroys the business? Because that could potentially happen. That's how court cases could go. And this just means nothing. So I, I don't think that's going to happen. But I just feel like it was a very interesting choice because I want to say that the, was it the ETP that came out of Amsterdam yesterday that was backed by Fidelity? that operated in a similar manner as Coinbase's in the United States, but please correct me for any inconsistencies. I will wow. not do that because I don't know the source material that well, but I did want to point out, riffing on your kind of SEC thing, that there is sort of the interesting jurisdictional battle in the U.S. between these two regulators, the SEC and the CFTC, right? The CFTC is in charge of approving this particular product. And the fact that they're involved in sort of, again, giving the green light at this time when its sister agency, the SEC, is really cracking down on Coinbase, does does strike me as interesting at the very least. But Jen probably knows the legal minutia, and I'm going to toss it to her. <laughs> I don't. Don't set me up for failure, Zach. Uh, I was going to say something similar to you, right? So Coinbase is saying that it's unlikely the SEC will take issue with this because it's going to be overseen by the NFA and the CFTC. I think this is interesting because... 
Earlier this month, Coinbase reported a sixth consecutive quarter of losses, but we still have seen big, big Coinbase news, I think week after week, right? Yesterday, we talked about Coinbase officially launching in Canada. We had the launch of the layer two base. Now we have this product. I think what's going to be interesting to see is like if people are actually using these products, all of this is happening. They're trying to attract users while the SEC is suing them. I just wonder, like from a psychological level, how that is going to affect folks from actually coming over, actually buying into these products, using them so that they can, at the end of the day, maybe one day soon, eventually report something that is not a loss. They are a publicly traded company. I think that sometimes we forget that when we talk about all of these wonderful new products. But Will, what do you think? Yeah, I think this is good news, right? Coinbase has many, many different product lines, and they range from the simple things that we think of, like token trading, and they go all the way up to more complex financial instruments. I mean, back in 2019 and 2020, they were part of like the race uh, to become a fully licensed crypto exchange, right? They had like a lot of different licenses that they were turning through alongside other companies like Fireblocks uh, that were trying to get these as well, right? So, so for Coinbase to be able to step in and get this sort of license means that, again, they are sort of a pack leader. They're one of the few out there that can uh, be a part of this market and be a part of it as a crypto company first and not as a traditional financial company first. There's a lot of TradFi parts to Coinbase, but at its core, going back to like the 2016 documents from Brian Armstrong, we've sort of laid out the plans. They want the world to be embraced by crypto and vice versa, right? Like we've been talking about build on base for the last month or so. They launched an L2. They're the first exchange to really be pushing that narrative forward. But they're also building things in other sectors. So I just think all around is like a very savvy and strategic move. Who knows what happens with the SEC thing? I think Coinbase is strong enough to get through all of this. Like the worst case scenario is like a pretty hefty fine. But we've seen lots of companies be fined by the SEC and keep moving along. And Coinbase seems to have a big enough war chest and strategy team to be able to move past that, even in the case of a bad situation there. But I'm pretty bullish on the whole company. Zach? Uh, yeah, no, good, good summary. Interesting to see them, you know, diversifying, diversifying the product suite and, uh, yeah, futures and options really remain a big part of the trading mix in crypto and certainly in the world of traditional, uh, traditional markets. So again, getting that product line out there is certainly, uh, of note. Uh, Wendy, what do you think? Um, my only comment I want to make is, isn't this really going to just benefit the accredited investors over the average retail? Mm, for like options trading, stuff like that, perhaps, yeah. but I guess... Yeah, like they're going to get, they're still going to get, yeah, they're still going to get the better deals and be able to do the futures. And we're just going to kind of be here as poor plebs, I feel like. I guess that would be like kind of there no matter what, though. We could all take our tests together. What is it like the series something, something, something? We could all take that together, become financial advisors. That would be a journey. That would be fun. Yeah. Or we could we just like make crypto services. Or we could just <laughs> make like, like a gazillion dollars and like, or be born into money and then, you know, and be stupid and just get access to all this stuff because we're rich. I would do that. I like Will's mm-hmm. idea. The next iteration uh, of the hash show. If this show ever goes off the air, that's what we'll do next. That's what we'll do. That's Interesting. We'll do. Okay. All right. <laughs> Okay, so my turn. It's your turn. Yeah, it's your turn now. Okay, all right. Crypto custodian ledger to let users buy Bitcoin, Ethereum through PayPal account. Oh my, this is so exciting. We're just going from a cold storage device to a third-party predator. I'm so excited. Um, So users in the U.S. can buy crypto uh, in its ledger live app through PayPal account without any extra verification. That's because you've already KYC'd there. 
Ledger Live currently offers Bitcoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash, and Litecoin. So this is what users can buy with the integration. The interesting thing about this is there was a story that came out from the UK, PayPal to stop Bitcoin purchases in the UK starting October 1st of 2023. So that's kind of weird to me because I felt like UK and like the EU and like all those people on that side of the world, um, they have a lot better laws and stuff than we do in the US. But now they're stopping that with PayPal, but then Ledger's going to let users buy Bitcoin through PayPal. So all I know is if you guys are going to be using PayPal to buy your crypto assets, please understand that PayPal has some predatory stuff in some of their terms of services. So make sure that you read that. Be very careful what you post on the internet. I think Ledger's coming out with another win, right? Like they've had a lot of issues in the past. I think like earlier in this year, we had privacy implications of a new change to their seed phrase setup, uh, which was like an opt-in thing. And they later just decided to walk it back entirely because of blowback on crypto Twitter. But like, let's look at like the, the recent announcements here. They have like a new Ledger wallet that's coming out. It's being designed by the person who designed the iPhone or it was like the, the iPod Touch. That's a big win. This itself, like integrating with PayPal is a huge deal. I think they also integrated with another trading service uh, recently and blinking on the name. Uh, just like continuing to stack up. And I think this kind of points to something that's similar with like Coinbase or maybe Binance. Well, once you sort of have like that brand capital in the space, you really start chugging along a lot faster than others out there. They're going to get a lot of volume from integration like this, or at least you think they would. It's just like easy, one-click pay with PayPal. Like you can do that for a lot of things nowadays. And if you can do that with crypto and like live to your ledger, just send it onto like your, hard, onto your hardware wallet, just connect it directly to your desktop. That's pretty big change from the traditional way of doing crypto. Yes, there's some things here that like aren't great. Yes, PayPal does have some issues with its crypto services and terms. But I think that's just like given when you're working with a corporation. And this is probably the next step in the road to boring, right? Where these bigger companies or financial institutions come in, they make the UI UX really simple for people. Hey, I want exposure to Bitcoin. What's the easiest way? Well, I go to PayPal, I buy it with my ledger, and I just let it sit there. Easy. I'm done. That's assuming they know how to actually set up a ledger and keep their private seed phrase safe. And that is that true. does remain a tricky part. That is true. I I, I must say the first time I set up a ledger, I remember it being you, the process being okay. And I don't know if I just had more information than the average Joe, but the step-by-step process in setting up a ledger, I remember thinking um, was easier than I thought when I set my first one up. And I know the, when we spoke about all of that ledger drama that happened months ago, ledger came out and said they were really focusing on the next million users. And the criticism there was, you know, you're maybe not thinking about the users who are already in the ecosystem, who are already using Ledger products. I think that this shows that Ledger is still focused on the next million users in this partnership with PayPal. PayPal is a trusted brand. Of course, they are regulated. Of course, there are some things um, that happen at, at PayPal that maybe people who are like diehard crypto folks are not going to like. But I think that this is what has to happen if we want to onboard the everyday Joe. And so I agree with you, Will. I think that this is a good step forward. I think that this is definitely a road to boring. And I think that it's interesting that in such quick succession, PayPal has enabled crypto purchases for Venmo users. They've launched their stablecoin and now they've partnered with Ledger. That tells me that they continued building throughout all of the FTX implosion and all the drama that this um, industry has seen. And we're getting to see the fruits of that labor. And it's pretty interesting to to think that a brand like PayPal would continue building these crypto products and look at uh, crypto partnerships throughout all of that. I think it's a pretty bullish sign. Zach, what do you think? 
It's a great optionality story too, right? Like it is interesting to see PayPal be like, okay, you can do crypto like highly custodial, just keep it in your PayPal account, or you can buy it directly to your hardware wallet, right? And that's like the spectrum of sort of optionality that I think is really great in crypto, right? Some people, they don't want to have to protect their seed phrase. They want, to, they want it sitting in a trusted regulated custodian. Others maybe are more cypherpunk inclined and want to have that stuff on their hardware device itself. So it is interesting, I think, forward thinking of PayPal to be thinking about how they intersect with that entire spectrum of uh, custodial trade-offs, right? We've talked about this often. Each one comes with its own set of trade-offs. You know, hey, you got to protect your own seed phrase. Hey, you got to take that personal responsibility versus, hey, that crypto exchange could go out of business and your funds are screwed, right? So it is a set of trade-offs that everyone has to weigh and sort of assess on their own. And for PayPal, I think in this instance, to be providing another more self-custodial choice to its consumers is actually really interesting. And I'd be curious to see like how this partnership came about in the first place. You know, whether PayPal went to Ledger, whether Ledger went to PayPal, would be really fascinating to know a bit more behind the scenes because it does suggest some interesting thinking about PayPal, especially in light of the recent stablecoin news. So yeah, definitely an interesting, interesting story. I like optionality. Optionality is the way. I want to just give a hot take, but Uh-oh. my hot take is, is I would rather see people put their money into a Bitcoin spot ETF than use PayPal and Ledger. Uh-oh. Okay. All right. But we don't okay. have a spot ETF. BlackRock. So, wow. Yes. She's, a, she's standing <laughs> yeah. for BlackRock. That is a hot take. Or technically, you can just... Canada. You can technically invest in MicroStrategy, and then you can become a shareholder of Bitcoin, just like BlackRock and Vanguard. Yes, the Bitcoin proxy stock. Good stuff. Those were nice takes. Good stuff. It wouldn't be an episode of The Hash if we didn't talk about the upcoming Sam Bankman-Fried criminal trial. Prosecutors in that trial are now saying that they plan to use personal notes and diary entries written by Caroline Ellison. Of course, she's the former CEO of Alameda Research as evidence against the disgraced FTX founder in a filing. We learned that Ellison took notes at meetings about the financial health of Alameda and separately created a list titled, quote, things Sam is freaking out about, unquote, that summarized SBF concerns. Zach, throwing it off to you. This is going to be a trial just full of drama and tidbits that we probably couldn't have even have guessed that would have ended up there. You can't make this stuff up, you know, in, a, in an organization in which all of the messages disappeared through various chat apps. The one stuff that has not disappeared is the diary from former Alameda Research co-CEO Caroline Ellison, who is also reportedly SBF's one-time girlfriend. This is just crazy that we're going to have to watch this unfold through these logs of someone who's very much implicated in the practices that lost these entities a whole lot of money. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what, um, you know, whether or not this is seen as a reliable narrator, whether or not this is uh, something that, um, you know, you can build a case around, or whether this is someone who is similarly conflicted, similarly in trouble with the things that uh, led to the sudden and shocking demise of FTX and Alameda both. So uh, it's just the, the twists and turns. I'm just going to sigh, sigh. It's just crazy. We're going to new twist and turn. Big sigh, big sigh on this one. But uh, yeah, also like, Maybe it sheds light on why SBF felt compelled to leak the diary uh, ahead of time also. Maybe think about that as well. But uh, I don't know. Will, what do you think? Yeah, I want to go to one of the diary entries that's included in this decrypt article. They say that on November 9th, there's an all-hands meeting that Ellison recorded in her diary talking about FTX and Alameda having a liquidity shortfall. This was two days before 
both those entities filed for bankruptcy. And she said that this was like recorded in her diary, uh, that there was a bunch of money via open term loans and used to make various illiquid investments. Those loans went bad during 2022. And now the money was owed between Alameda and FTX. So she's sort of detailing like the huge problem here. And it goes on to say that these whole uh, loans were filled by loans from users, right? So they basically admit to the whole problem here that's alleged in the criminal trial going forward. And then she goes on to say later that whose fault is this? An employee asked her and she said, uh, Sam, I guess. So I think that kind of details like pretty clearly like what's going to happen here is like they're going to use this basically as a hammer. They have firsthand evidence from the co-CEO of Alameda of why this happened and how it happened. I'm sure there's more juicy details in this. And there's like that New York Times piece also about the diary that came out. That will speak to this a lot, uh, like the weird relationship between Ellison and SBF. Uh, but I think just in terms of like the core critical issue here for people who lost a lot of money, um, they're loaning mo- money out because they basically went to the bet farm on shit coins. And that's what happens when you don't protect the piggy bank. Wendy? I just think that it's interesting that the list is called things Sam is freaking out about. That's my favorite part. And the reason why is, is I have ADHD. And that would probably be something I would call a list is things Wendy O is freaking out about or things that are making me uncomfortable. So I think it's absolutely funny. The whole thing is very sad, though. I mean, of course, like fraud isn't good and people that do bad things, they're awful. But at the same time, I just try to find light in every single situation. And the fact that there's a list in court that's going to be called things Sam is freaking out about. Um, And then they're going to be using a diary. So you know what, guys? Don't be using diaries anymore. Can't use diaries anymore. You're not safe. This is not the 1800s. It's not the 1700s. You're, gonna have to use just, you're just going to have to use disappearing messages. That's not legal advice. I'm not your attorney and I'm not a legal expert. No more diaries. Uh, you got to get a lock on your diary and not not write it in Google Documents. You got to yep. act like it's the 1700s. Just pen to paper, lock it up, put it under your bed. Floorboard. Uh, floorboard. And in, 19, and in 19 or an 1800s Victorian mansion, floorboard. Please. One day someone will find it and they'll be in for a treat. Uh, for people who are wondering, is this hearsay? The prosecution says that the notes were taken to memorialize information supplied to her and to provide a reference to help carry out her role in the conspiracy. I think that's kind of um, interesting. And I want to get in uh, Sam's lawyer's response here. They are moving to ex- the evidence, any evidence gathered after July 1st. They say that the prosecutors failed to provide specific information in a timely manner, uh, substantially hindering SBF's ability to prepare for his defense. I find that kind of hilarious because he has hindered his ability to prepare for his defense by talking so much. And so he is in jail now. And that's that. Deck. Wait, 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 wait. It was is the diary in Google Docs or is I was just picturing like a diary this whole time. Was it a digital diary or the was it actually like a real diary? What he leaked to the New York Times, my understanding, it was Google Docs. Okay. All right. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to update my mental my mental model for uh, for what's been <laughs> for diaries. Changing hands. Also, like, why is it called a diary and not just like a journal? Like, is it is this a gendered thing? Is this like a schedule? Like diary in the sense of like schedule? Like I why is it called the diary? Like that whole thing, I think is, that's strange to me. I don't know, Wendy. It's just strange to me. I, I just want to say, I watched this really funny TikTok from this real attorney. And um, she says, I'm not your attorney, but the best thing you can do in life is just shut up. Just shut up. 
And that was a TikTok. That was like what our guy, uh, what our guy, our Bernie Madoff guy said the other day. She was like, yeah. just shut up already. And the Stop moment talking. you walk outside of your house, you're in public domain. So, and, there, and she also said there's always people watching you. It's true. Mm-hmm. It's true. So I'm gonna, okay. I'm gonna go Talking outside. about people watching you. Let's talk about the FDIC. The FDIC, the U.S. Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, added crypto as one of five broad categories this year in an annual risk report. A snapshot of the dangers the banking regulator considers a top priority at the moment. While not adding any language specifically towards any certain cryptocurrency, they did warn that cryptocurrency itself is more a generalized risk and that they also push for most banks to not hold any digital assets or have exposure towards them. I think this is just a broader acknowledgement that crypto is part of the banking system now, and you got to be careful of it. Of course, in February and March, we had three banking institutions with crypto exposure collapse. So I'm sure this had a little bit to do with that. Jen? I think this makes sense, right? This is the first risk review that they've published since the banking collapse in March. And so I think you're right, Will. They had to say A lot of these things, they pointed to some of the risks, including fraud, legal uncertainties, misleading or inaccurate representations and disclosures, risk management practices, exhibiting a lack of maturity and robustness. I don't think that they're wrong. Um, And I think that banks that want to get into crypto probably already know this um, and are already considering it. I think the most interesting part for me is they said that they identified, I'm just looking for the number here. Yeah, according to the 2023 report, the FDIC has taken action against more than 85 entities that had misrepresented the extent of their FDIC coverage. I would love to see who those entities are. I know that there was a lot of talk about Voyager misrepresenting their FDIC coverage for consumers. And so I want to know the 85 entities that they went after and where they are now, because we all know what happened to Voyager. What do you think, Wendy? I actually made a video about this yesterday. I posted it on X and on YouTube and on TikTok. Um, But I just absolutely think it is insane that they're calling something without regulations a top five threat to the banking industry. And the reason why we don't have regulations is because of the public servant. So how can this be a risk if there are no regulations and we don't even know what the stuff is classified as. Is it does, like one plus one equals 69 here to me. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. But again, this also does prove just because you have laws and regulations governing something, it doesn't mean that it's still safe. And this can be displayed in the current banking sector. We have all these laws and regulations, but that didn't stop 2008. It didn't stop the banking collapse that we just saw recently. And it didn't stop the banks from taking your money and investing it really not being super transparent about it and charging you these obscure interest rates like those are that's still there that's that's all legal and i don't think that that's safe any way shape or form i actually think that causes a direct risk and it should be kind of considered considering we're over what like one trillion dollars in credit card debt and the average interest rate to pay that back is starts at 20 percent. i think the stablecoin thing is really what this boils down to right like exposure to right these these digital dollars that ride across like various blockchains right those those actual dollars sit in the bank somewhere right and there are several large regional banks that have taken this upon themselves as a growing business line right i think circle has something like a billion dollars in reserves sitting at customers bank those are the dollars that back up the usdc that's you know sloshing around on, on the internet so i think that part is the part that is interesting and potentially really dangerous about this right if you force these us regulated stablecoin issuers to seek banking relationships elsewhere. I think that's ultimately bad for the stablecoin system and ultimately bad for consumers as a whole, right? Because you're potentially entering into more risky sort of banking regulation requirements 
that will not serve you know U.S. consumer interests if that's indeed what this is looking to serve. So I think the stablecoin part of this, the exposure to part of this, and again those dollar reserves that are backing a lot of these digital dollars, that that I think is really quite interesting and will um, you know probably have ramifications for how these banks. Uh, again, these big regional banks go about doing this business line. So that that to me is the thing that I just wanted to highlight. But I don't know. Will, maybe you have other thoughts. No, I think you're spot on here. Like stable coins are new. Stable coins are useful. It's one of the most uh, utility impactful like crypto assets that are out there. And so I think that's why the banking structure is trying to like respond to this. You, know, you don't destroy three of the largest banks in U.S. history in a few months without some repercussions. And crypto, I don't think had a lot to do that with that. I think these institutions were just servicing crypto companies, but regulators certainly may not see it that way. So there's going to be repercussions. There always are. There's always repercussions. Yeah. For every action or reaction and mm. on and on. It's so crazy. That's anyway, just really makes you think. Anyway, that's it for the show today. We'll leave you on some deep thoughts. I'm Zach. That's Will, Wendy, Jen, we're the hash. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for being here. Talk to you soon. Bye Bye. now. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 